Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Perfect circle piston rings are the standard of the automotive industry, used by more than 80% of America's car manufacturers in all or a large part of their production. Welcome to the underworld. I love America. It's been my home all my life. Ladies and gentlemen, the very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are the people inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Access America. This is your history. This is your country. This is America. Join us in listening to some of history's America's best speeches. Created by Jarcodes Productions. Go back in time with us. Right now on Public Access America. throughout the world. However, the Earth offers few pleasures for most of its inhabitants. For his 10,000 years of grubbing a living off the planet, man has found life for the most part to be cruel. Disenchantment abounds, fatigue, hunger, and cold. However, nature, almost as an afterthought, softened her terms. She sprinkled the harsh Earth with a variety of plants, each offering momentary escape, a passport from reality. Their protective effects have been known since the time of the ancients. In virtually any of the hot countries of the world, where the soil is fertile, and farmers still employ the oldest methods of cultivation, flourishes a plant scientifically known as Papaver somniferum, more commonly known as the opium poppy. Its pods contain a milky fluid that for centuries provided the raw material for one of the most demoralizing and dissipating vices in the world. Known as far back as 4000 BC, use of opium historically centered on the Mediterranean. Eventually, Arab and Persian traders introduced the mystic wonders of the poppy to all the communities with whom they bartered. By the 16th century, India was cultivating it. In the 17th century, China discovered the euphoric delights 
that came from smoking it. Opium dens, set back in sinister alleys, flourished throughout the Far East. Even though millions of Chinese were thrust into moral and physical degradation, the use of opium was actually romanticized in literature by Edgar Allan Poe, Thomas De Quincey, and Samuel Taylor Coleridge, all brilliant writers, and each an opium taker. Its use had become such a problem in China that the emperor issued edict after edict forbidding its import. In spite of this, in the 1800s, British and American sea captains bought shiploads of opium at the great auctions in Calcutta and traded them illicitly at Chinese seaports. Then the emperor cracked down. In 1838, in one hall, he confiscated $6 million worth of opium from the British ships at Canton. England retaliated with a naval squadron, and the notorious opium wars were on. Although she would be censured in the eyes of the world, the war enabled Britain to force a treaty, giving her the greatest port in the Far East, Hong Kong. As well as unrestricted opium trade for her enterprising sea captains. Then, in the 19th century, a German refinement. Through a relatively simple chemical process, raw opium was transformed into morphine base. In 1898, another refinement from Germany. From morphine base came the derivative, heroin. It took at least 60 centuries to bring Poppy's euphoric effects from the cradle of civilization all the way to the opium pipes in Canton. But within only a few decades, modern science was able to funnel the Poppy's impact straight into the central nervous system in one cool blast. Today, thousands of prisons and hospitals all over the world are crowded with patients who have experimented with the poppy's final derivative and who have become addicted to it. Its astronomical profits on the street corners of the Ginza in Tokyo, the Piccadilly Circus in London, and the Great White Way in New York have made it the world's number one illicit commodity. A deck of heroin sold on a metropolitan sidewalk is the final transaction in a long series of closely guarded clandestine operations. Charles Siragusa, former deputy commissioner of narcotics, has first-hand knowledge of all of them. The illicit narcotic traffic, uh, the route of it is not quite as complex as it would appear. Uh, Turkey still remains as the uh, principal source of the raw material, which is opium. Uh, the opium is in process into morphine based sometimes in Turkey, uh, other times in uh, Syria and Beirut and Lebanon. Uh, the French now have control of the Lebanese market. They've been associated with them in the all sorts of illicit international rackets for many years. The Lebanese the sold the morphine base to the French. Uh, these French Corsicans who have had the traditional ties with them for many, many years arranged for the smuggling of the morphine base into France. The Marseille is the uh, capital of the Corsican underworld for all of France. Once in Marseille, chemists take over, converting morphine base into heroin. This is the most difficult phase of the entire industry. Skilled chemists are not easy to find. A Turkish farmer sells 10 kilos of raw opium 
for about 22 pounds for $350 on the black market. Through conversion, it is reduced to one kilo of heroin, now worth $3,500. Now they've got to sell the heroin, the ones with the customers in the United States, uh, the mafia hoods, uh, mostly in New York City, Chicago, the West Coast. Heroin, in its relatively pure form, enters the United States in a variety of ways. The Port of New York is by far the most common route and is the main target for Narcotic Bureau investigators working hand in hand with customs inspectors. An estimated two tons of pure heroin is annually smuggled into the states and it's considered a good year when the inspectors manage to intercept a hundred pounds of it. Smuggling is a fine art and the Corsicans are considered to be the finest practitioners in the world. Today, the automobile is a favorite hiding place, and there is hardly a part of the chassis or body that is not, at one time or another, offered concealment for big heroin shipments. A second major port of entry into the United States is the Mexican border. This is the main entrance for illicit marijuana shipments, but a good supply of heroin slips through as well. We are in our vault in which all the marijuana and heroin which is seized is stored until the criminal case against the defendants is terminated by federal court action. This contraband is concealed in most ingenious ways in vehicles and on persons. In fact, you can name a place that you feel contraband could be concealed and I can cite you an instance where we have found it there. Some months ago, we encountered a young fellow entering the United States from Mexico eating an ice cream cone. A search revealed that he had an ounce of heroin concealed in the ice cream cone. In this area, we also have a number of yachts, some 5,000 private yachts based in this area, all of which have the facility or capability of going to Mexican waters. This poses quite a threat, as do the increasing number of private aircraft crossing the international boundaries. Once the heroin reaches its American distributors, it is blended with milk sugar and is cut at least one more time by the peddler himself. Heroin strength is now only 5%, normal for the retail market. Each packet or deck will sell for $5. Thus, the original 22 pounds of raw opium sold by a Turkish farmer for $350 is eventually worth on the sidewalks of Manhattan over $410,000 and, in a panic, half a million. focal point of hard drug addiction in the United States. The urban ghettos house nearly three-fourths of the hardcore addicts, with New York's teeming slums far out in front. The traffic starts in Manhattan, uh, more readily obtainable in Manhattan, especially in the Harlem area, up around uh, Lexington Avenue, 
from about 97th to around 135th Street, 116th Street, running east to west completely, 125th Street, and so many other spots, uh, probably take me all day to name them all. America's known heroin population of over 60,000 collectively shoots nearly two tons of opiates a year. More than half live within the tenement shadows of Harlem and the Bronx. When I first came to East Harlem uh, in 1948, it was primarily a large Italian and Puerto Rican community. For our part, as far as the young, the kids or the adolescents were concerned, it was constant warfare. Uh, there were many, many gangs. And it might be said that gangs uh, were the main problem in East Harlem then. There was much bloodshed. And the ironic thing is that the only thing that united Italians and Puerto Ricans together uh, were, was the use of drugs. For the ghetto dweller, heroin is a desperate bid for freedom, an escape from the despair of the tenement prison. After getting married, sort of uh, couldn't meet up with the responsibilities that I had taken on, and sort of felt the need to escape from these. My first marriage, I've been married twice, has only lasted uh, about four years with continuously using drugs. I had two children. Right after my first marriage broke up, I was uh, immediately married again. In fact, my first marriage broke up through meeting this other woman. I went along for about eight months not using drugs, and uh, finally I come back to getting the feelings of, you know, trying to escape again. And I started using drugs uh, eight months after my second marriage. I feel that the main problem in the city at the time is uh, environment. I would say that the good majority of the people that go on to heroin go on it as a result of their environment. Uh, the people they know, their friends, the ready availability to obtain it, and so forth. I started to use it. I started to sniff it just to be part of a group. I started to use it while I was in school. And uh, one day I woke up and I was addicted. I woke up and I was very sick, and I didn't know what was bringing it about. But I did find out that as soon as I took some heroin through my nose, I got well. I felt normal. And once a follower is on heroin, it may be years before he realizes or so wants to admit to himself that he is indeed a junkie and that he is in need of help. Uh, a fellow can start on narcotics, I would say, uh, at any age, really, of course, and within a matter of three to six months, uh, starting out at about four or six dollars a day, he can work his way up to a hundred dollar a day habit. I was using about over a hundred dollars a day. Everything I would get was to go through my arms. The Harrison Act of 1914 strengthened by a series of Treasury Department regulations, is the basic law restricting production and distribution of narcotics. Although the law does not refer to the addict himself, the implicit premise is that addiction is willful indulgence, meriting punishment. 
I feel that uh, the people living in the metropolitan area are arrested more frequently and exposed to arrest and the possibility of being jailed much more than the people in suburban areas for the simple reason that a good majority of them, the majority of them come from poverty homes. Uh, they don't have, in most cases, uh, money for proper legal aid, although the city will provide them with some. What about you? Let me see you what you look like. What do you do with the needle in your hand? Possession alone is sufficient evidence for conviction. Users anticipating raids frequently conceal their day's supply in a toy balloon, keeping it in their mouth. If apprehended, they swallow the evidence, knowing that they can retrieve it later. Are under arrest for unlawful possession of, ne of needles and unlawful possession of heroin. Following World War II, hard drug use, particularly among young people, was on the upswing. Public reaction surged, resulting in more stringent controls, stiffer penalties. The 1956 Narcotic Control Act spelled out the most severe and inflexible set of laws ever put on the federal books. Penalties for possession were only slightly less than those for selling. Probation was possible only on a first offense possession charge. The sentence was two to ten years. Second and third offenses and selling in any quantity, even soft drugs such as marijuana, brought terms up to 40 years with no chance for probation or parole. Selling heroin to a minor could bring a possible death penalty. At the same time the law was taking a harsher look at the addict, popular opinion began to swing back in his favor, recognizing that he was not just a criminal, but a sick person, a pathetic, tortured human being in need of help. The Narcotic Addict Rehabilitation Act of 1966 set forth a new national policy for treatment of addicts. At the core of the policy is the premise that addiction is an illness that should be treated, not a criminal act in itself. For the first time, federal law permitted addicts to apply for treatment instead of being prosecuted. At the Federal Narcotics Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky, bars that had restrained addicts for 33 years were removed, dramatic proof of society's new attitude toward the wretched victims of the opium poppy. It became a major drug abuse research center administered by the National Institute of Mental Health. One of the distinctive contributions uh, of the Narcotic Addict Rehabilitation Act of 1966 is the fact that it uh, authorizes us to provide up to as much as three years of aftercare uh, supervised by professionals in the community in which the major emphasis is put on uh, helping the addict to correct whatever inadequacies may have contributed to his addiction in the first place in order to uh, maximize the uh, likelihood of his adjustment when he returns home. Throughout the 1960s, many new treatment programs have been launched in and out of government. Perhaps the most publicized is Synanon, a private organization founded and managed by ex-addicts. Best thing for people is people, and Synanon provides the environment to bring together peoples from all walks of life. We now have 
1,000 people are residents. Well, 4,000 people belong to our Cinnamon clubs, and they don't live here. People from all walks of life, newsmen, housewives, bricklayers, doctors, lawyers, and all peoples get together within, within the Cinnamon environment and talk, communicate to one another. Some programs take their philosophy right to the center of the action, in the ghettos where drug abuse is rampant. Exodus House. Here, ex-addicts, who have begun to remake their lives, work closely with narcotic patients, right in the community where the drugs are pushed and used. Daytop Village is typical of the halfway house concept, where the addict is slowly eased back into society, one step at a time. In community extension projects like SPAN, the addict meets with citizens on the outside. He holds frank discussions with them on a group basis. When he returns to his community, he is more than just a law-abiding taxpayer. He is a civic leader, a doer, an activist. The drug problem, in all its complex facets, is a challenge to everyone. We are all potential drug takers, if not heroin, then tranquilizers, stimulants, sleeping pills, and alcohol. Even if we live in the country's finest communities, our children, at this moment, may be experimenting with marijuana, hallucinogenics, amphetamines. Tight laws and stiff penalties are not the answer. A former narcotics commissioner admitted that the mass flow of hard drugs into the United States could not be stopped even by the collective enforcement of the customs inspectors, all the treasury agents, the FBI, and the combined strength of all the armed forces. There are essentially two ways to reduce the problem. First, by attacking it on the user's end. Continued research and public enlightenment will increase our understanding of the addict and his compulsion to escape through drugs. Secondly, beyond attacking the problem on the user's end, we must, in a concert of nations, attack it on the other end, the source. The plant itself, whether a poppy, Indian hemp, or the cocoa leaf, is grown out of economic necessity by farmers who are native to a land that offers little. The ever-existent black market price tempts the registered growers to overproduce to conceal a part of their legitimate harvest and place it on the worldwide illicit markets. Studies sponsored by the United Nations have shown that in each country, there is a practical and profitable alternative to the narcotic harvest. In the region of Baalbek, Lebanon, where 90% of the land was once planted with cannabis or marijuana, now grow commercial crops that benefit rather than destroy. Nature's strange gifts, which Thomas de Quincey called the abyss of divine enjoyment, have been with us for 60 centuries. But only in the last 60 years have we released the truly lethal derivatives.
new podcast, Public Access America? You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, TuneIn Radio, and even the Stitcher Smart Radio app. It's so cool! Not good, not... But are you a German spy? Because that sounds like technology. It's like that new thing, the radio, or a newspaper for your ears. You can even follow their production company, Jar Codes, on Twitter or Facebook and find all new episodes posted every day. Oh, that's cool. I don't care nothing about no planes, but I gotta hear the latest episode of Public Access America now. Oh, watch the bomb. You can even go to their YouTube channel at Public Access America and find great videos from our time. It's so cool. Go check out Public Access America. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 